two regulators. There's the ESFA yes. and there's Ofsted, and you have to play by their rules, otherwise you can't have their money. Tenth of our targets, and they're struggling right. even to get those going. And also, you know, and COVID sent us a curveball as well. <laughs> it um, does, to be fair. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast um, with us today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and it'd be great to get you on just for a different takes. We've, uh, we've got providers and colleges coming on, and um, so it'd be kind of good to see how you see how the, the FA landscape um, is changing and, and, and where you see it going. So just for people who don't know who you are, could you just do a, a bit of a brief introduction on who you are and your organisation? Okay, so I'm Chief Exec of the Association of Employment and Learning Providers, known as ALP, Extra uh, yeah. in. Um, we're a trade body basically for work-based learning providers I would say is our is our USP so a lot of independent training providers and members but also colleges universities employer providers endpoint assessment organizations so really the end-to-end in work-based learning particularly apprenticeships traineeships and things like that yeah previously I have been a college principal I've run OCR I've worked in the department so uh, I've seen things from a variety of angles. Yeah. And then obviously soon to, to go back into training as well, as we've just been chatting there. So you, you've kind of done full circle and then and going back into it. So it's great that. Um, how, how do you think apprenticeships have changed over the kind of the past two years? Well, obviously, with the introduction of the levy, that's made an enormous difference uh, for levy payers. It's removed the government's sort of involvement, in a sense, between the provider and the uh, and and the employer to some extent at least, um, but it's not just being because the levy's funding, uh, but the curriculum has changed, the assessment has changed. So we've got standards now, we've got endpoint assessment. Um, so really, every aspect of apprenticeships has changed uh, for the better. I think I mean, enormous yep. teething problems, real issues around SMEs, uh, young people, lower levels. But the frameworks there, and certainly when I, um, we've, we've done a number of trips to other countries and actually when we talk about the framework and how we operate uh, and how the system works for work-based learning, uh, they're actually incredibly jealous. And this is places like the US, Australia yeah. in particular. So, so we've, got a great, we've got a great framework. It's just about getting the system working properly for everyone and making sure, I think the big issue for the government really is who are their priorities and making sure they have access to the, the yeah. training, the funding, um, not excluding others, but making sure those priorities are also targeted. Yeah, and and the US are having a go at their own apprenticeship program as well, aren't they? I don't know how do you do you keep tabs on how that's going. Is it is it still going? Is it still moving? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Trump has an apprenticeship fund and talks about apprentices uh, among yeah. other things that he talks about. Uh, we were in California, and the population of California is forty million. Uh, so it's not far off England's population. Yeah, tenth of our targets and they're struggling even to get those going and also they're starting from a base of very traditional apprenticeship views of you know it's manufacturing and construction yeah uh, the trades basically uh, and looking to how they can expand and also the levels I mean we we've gone from really level two level three right the way through to well what was level eight but now has been pulled back by Keegan to level seven 
Um, so again, very early stages, but they, they were incredibly interested in, in what was going on in, in, in the UK. Yeah. And how do you feel the, the 20% off the job? Do you feel that? I, I know a number of employers and I, I, I run a big um, employment agency myself is one of my businesses. The 20% off the job can be challenging to say, how, how do you think that's going in terms of that? I think it's settled down a bit. I mean, we still believe at ALP on behalf of our members, there needs to be better, more flexibility. There definitely needs to be more flexibility yeah. about how it's treated. And actually, we say the on the job is more important than the off the job. And probably during COVID, that's been proven even more in the sense a lot of furloughed workers have carried on the off the job, but they're missing the on the job. And that's where you apply yeah. the learning. So that's... Yeah. that's um, incredibly important also what i think we've seen is people off the jobs a really bad phrase because a lot of that training is actually done in the employer's site yeah. it's done by employer mentors and supervisors so initially people thought they just had to disappear from from the employer for a day it's just yeah. not like that so i think a balance of those things are helping as well and mm -hmm. the other big thing is, um, that especially at the higher levels, uh, but also at the lower levels, that 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 concept of you know working outside working hours, studying outside working hours, yeah. and I think some flexibility around that, especially with e-learning and everything that's coming on, allowing people to sort of access when when they want, how they want. Um, so. I get the government were very, very adamant given past issues around the minimum duration of 12 months and the 20% off the job, but they aren't actually quality measures. Um, and now's the time to start looking at, you know, a, a more grown up system. Uh, it's evolved and it's time, to, it's time to review yeah. that, I believe. Yeah. Great. What, what do you think the, the top three challenges are that providers are, are coming up against? What are they coming to you guys for support in? What, what seems to be the re more recurrent challenges? Ooh, top three. And, you know, and COVID centres a curveball as well. Yeah, it does, to be fair. Yeah. It does. Which, and the response has been phenomenal. I mean, obviously it's sector by sector. And say, for example, hairdressers are having a problem at the moment because it really yeah. is difficult to teach online and, um, you know, that sector is, is still locked down. Um, I think um, top of the list is the non-levy payers, you know, which is 98% yeah. of, of the employers. And two thirds of all apprenticeships were done in the non-levy world. Yeah. Uh, access to funding for that has been, has been getting less and less. Uh, we still think it will be a problem coming out of COVID as well, which yeah. is why our latest budget sort of requests have been about you know you still need to invest 1.5 billion into the sme world separately from the levy yeah so that that's definitely been a challenge the the lack of standards replacing some of the most popular frameworks is, is another challenge and and you know it was i think it was a bad decision by the department to not allow frameworks to be extended during this period because even though there'd been 18 months warning it was going to happen, some standards would only just been approved. Yeah. And switching over to those was incredibly challenging during COVID, where you do have to talk to the employer, train the employer about the delivery of standards. Yeah. And we have the old favourite of business admin level two, yeah. which, you know, I, I can every week I can tell you I have discussions with officials, ministers, everyone that I fate 
about you know this is just crazy we saw the, the the stuff around the nhs last week trying to fit customer service as a replacement yeah. for business and employers across the country use it it's the first step apprenticeship uh, it is a proper apprenticeship um, and the danger we will see now i'm sure will be lots of new standards at level two that are pseudo business admin but named other things for each sector rather than just having the generic applied to each sector so and and if it doesn't get replaced at all we still need to train these people so you know that's going to be drawing on other government funding whether it's adult ed or things like that so you know that's that's a crazy one so i suppose the the funding uh the issues around standards um, and then I suppose your your point around the um, off the job and the flexibility and the approach. And again, during COVID, we've seen IFATE set up these groups looking at flexibilities on the assessment. <laughs> I just think those groups need to stay in place now to talk about both the the curriculum, the delivery and the assessment and, and sort of finesse it, change it a bit um, through experience rather than these rigid rigid rules going forward. Yeah. And, you know, COVID has a massive effect on the sector and, and in every business there's been a challenge within COVID. How, how do you think it, it'll change the landscape of further education moving forward? Um, I mean, obviously, everyone's been playing with online uh, because they've had yeah. no choice. Uh, yeah. And I talked to some of our members who were planning over the next two years to introduce online learning, particularly for the off the job. Uh, and and suddenly they did it overnight. And, and you know, where they might have got massive resistance from staff uh, because it's change. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, they've had to do it. And the staff are starting to say, actually, rather than driving around the country with my workload of 30 apprentices, this is quite good. A mixed, a blended model coming out yeah. will make a real difference. So we'll see that we're going to see massive unemployment um, in sectors, which will affect starts significantly. Yeah. Um, so definitely uh, there'll be issues sector by sector, level by level of what's yeah. happening. And this is why we called for the sort of, you know, when the prime minister t- spoke about the apprenticeship guarantee, we said the only way to guarantee apprentices, uh, apprentice, because it's a job, you have to guarantee a job. And therefore, that's why we're saying 50% wage subsidy is a minimum that's needed. Yeah. We've said for young people, you know, 16 to 24, we've said for level two, level three as, as a core, it's up to the government whether they want to extend that. But that's our starting point for an apprenticeship guarantee going forward. And and there is there has been some movement on, I've seen, was it the mayor of Teesside that Ben yeah. put a message on LinkedIn last week about there'll be a, a pot for a, a hundred apprentices in terms of helping out with wages and things like that. And, you know, it's fantastic and, and great ways, but still across the whole of Teesside, a hundred people is not a yeah. lot either. Is it, you know, it's, and it's a million quid, you know, they, they calculated it a million pounds. Uh, we our calculation using the relevant minimum wage, uh, apprenticeship minimum wage and national minimum wages. We think it'd be about 3.6 billion a hell of a lot of money but yeah. compared to everything else and compared to those individuals being unemployed and the and the the sort of economic and social impact of that we think it's probably an investment the treasury needs to think about it is because the, if if they don't there'll be such a divide of especially the young people leaving school and college and and you know even 
like all of these young people, what are they going to do? That that'll be the, yeah. the massive thing. And then you know you've got high levels of needs, and then you know the, there'll be funding comes in somewhere. I always think whether you're funding a need program to help people into work or a, an adult education budget program, if you could place them in work and help them sustain work, yeah. well, you're not putting as much funding in at the start, are you? So it's it's just moving around the pieces of the jigsaw to. And obviously, yeah. the more people are in work, the economy is then getting better and better, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, part of our proposals uh, for, for now through to the autumn is that in the past, we've had work programs, which have been very much just get them into work, you know, uh, get, get them sort out a CV, do interviews, get a job. Uh, we think you know, this is a very, going to be a very different recession, different for different sectors. And also we want people to go into a job and be sustained in a job yeah. and to, it, to sustain them, those individuals. So the combination of, you know, that work skills, but also just broader skills and skills for those different sectors, we think is really important, which is why, you know, we're suggesting uh, whether it's a trade, a, 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 a sort of revitalized traineeship program or, or something similar. Uh, yeah. and, and it should be the, DWP, Department of Work and Pensions, and DFE, and Bayes, the business department, funneling people into that single program rather than having different things dotted around the country. Yeah. yeah. What sectors are you seeing that, what, what sectors do you think you would be worried about? What sectors do you think are going to thrive? Well, I think um, you just have to listen to the news every day and, uh, yeah. and see what's going on. And, you know, hospitality, tourism, retail, uh, incredibly challenging environment yeah. for them um, and really uh, if you watch the news and, and listen to the news and see what's happening to those sectors that will affect the apprenticeships that you know there's a real danger that um, when companies are looking at who they're going to make redundant apprentices will be high up on the list they're, they're the least trained by definition um, yeah. and and so you know, there's a danger we're going to lose a lot of apprentices who are in in training, as well as trying to get new starts as well. So some of the stuff we've been talking about is, you know, a transition program, say from hospitality into care, or you know, yeah. digital's going to keep picking up more and more. You know, what retraining can we do for those apprentices and get them into digital marketing or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. And so, I, so I think that's that's part of this is to that transition program as well. And trying to even map things across because obviously the, you know, if you if you part way through an apprenticeship, you have learned skills and knowledge and what you can maybe put across into the new sector if you if you're moving across into care or moving across into where something different. There's maybe some transferable skills to go across Absolutely. there. So, Absolutely. and I think transferable skills actually. Yeah, and I think it's important that I think the government and and obviously it will be for providers and colleges and everyone to do a piece on this, but. We've got to inform young people where they need to go, not where they need to go, because you've got to you've got to give guidance on on where the options are, I suppose. But if if certain sectors are not going to be as well, we need a piece of work that says to young people, maybe it's careers advice to say, look, we know you wanted to come into hospitality, however, it's not doing very well. However, care is thriving. You know, there's yeah. an aging population. 
there's maybe a piece of work needs to be done by the government and, and everybody else to to highlight these areas as well and to highlight to try and i mean care's always been the one trying to attract people to work in health and social care is is very very difficult as well yeah i mean we we have the capability now uh, sounds like the bionic man doesn't it we have the capability now to actually on a live day-by-day basis say where the opportunities are appearing so yeah. there'll be some very clear sector trends you know care um care had a crisis anyway before we even went into into yeah. covid um the, one of the problems we keep saying is the training the, the value of the funding for care workers is appalling and that needs to change as well um but we can show area by area where the job opportunities are and this is why we've been very clear that any program should not restrict to sectors or anything like that because there may be in in newcastle the metro center suddenly kicks off and there's a load of retail jobs yeah, there. yeah. we shouldn't be stopping uh those 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 apprenticeships those training opportunities so it, there is a local aspect to this and that's where the combined authorities come in as well where they do exist in terms of i think we need a national program national funding uh but then the combined authorities having funding to steer guide incentivize into those areas yeah how how do you think the devolved um part of the country's gone and the funding's gone so far do you think it's working well in the devolved areas it's early days um and you know they had a lot to do in a very short space of time uh yeah. obviously those that got contracts were very happy those that didn't yeah. work um i think as as things develop uh those those devolved areas will be looking for uh sort of skill sets of providers or, and offers of providers that may not um be met by the existing cohort providers they've got um so that's something to develop further i think you know if, if they're getting all if, if there's more money put into adult ed um because of this crisis um i'm sure the devolved authorities will get their share of that and again yeah. got to think very carefully about it uh, uh, you know local providers it's it's not been so bad although the smaller ones generally have struggled to get contracts the large yeah. national providers who you know do a great job of sort of delivering across sec you know in a sector across the country that was quite challenging because suddenly yeah. they were losing areas of delivery that they used to deliver in so part of it is just the consequences of devolution and and you know everyone has said we want devolution yeah. um but part of it is just stepping back again and thinking well how can we make this more effective uh, ultimately for those employers and and the individuals in those areas yeah we had um well, I had uh, Jill Whitaker on last week who who highlighted mm-hmm. that who said you know they were unsuccessful in the bidding however they were managed to partner up with some good and get some good subcontracts because albeit they're a national provider with a very local feel they've got yeah. local hubs and local teams so she went albeit we are national in our coverage but we're very local in our in the way we um approach things and and she mentioned that so I, I, I do feel for the bigger providers and i do feel for the the people who missed out and what what advice would you give to to maybe the new up-and-coming providers or the people who are who are stepping into fe because we haven't had you know roto open for, for, for since yeah. 2014 or 15 where do you see that going for new providers Okay, for new providers, I mean, it's, and, you know, a lot of new providers complain about the 
complexity and the bureaucracy. And I do say, well, um, there's billions of pounds worth of government money going in here. And there are two regulators. There's the SFA yes. and there's Ofsted. And you have to play by their rules. Otherwise, you can't have their money. So yes. the first thing I say to new providers is, you know, suck it up or leave because that is the world you're entering. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the deal in a sense. Now, obviously, there are lots of things we'd like to change and, and would improve stuff. Um, but do read the common inspection framework or common, the education framework as it is now um, and, um, and, and do understand it and understand the funding rules. Um, adult ed uh, was procured. The procurement was extended. Um, we'll see what happens when that period comes to an end. So there may be an opportunity uh, for the next round um, yeah. and the same will be in the combined authorities. But in the meantime, if, if um, you've got an offer, you know, it's going back to the sort of hit point is that, you know, they work with hotel chains or, or restaurant chains across the country um, and they're having to tell their employers, well, sorry, we can't do it here, here and here because we haven't yeah. got a contract. And so they look for subcontracts. I think that needs to be the same for, for new providers. At the same time, there is this tension that the government doesn't like subcontracting. Now, the reason yeah. government doesn't like subcontracting is there have been some terrible primes who've not properly controlled their subcontractors. It's not, yeah. you know, and they've been bad subcontractors. But it's not that subcontracting is bad in itself. It's the controls have been bad. And the first yeah. thing they do is slam the door shut and, and hurt everyone. So I think, uh, you know, looking forward to the FE reform and all of that, there's lots of talk about partnership and stuff. Well, um, great. Let's have partnerships, but let's have genuine partnerships that aren't yeah. sort of contractor subcontractor. They need to be sort of the best yeah. providers working together to give the best in an area. Yeah. Yeah. That would, yeah. Like a true partnership where that learner can go through a journey and, and, and maybe he's, a specialist does some intervention here and then that moves on to another provider there. So I do, I do believe that, that if we can get that working where all providers kind of join up or a partnership working joins up, then it would work very well. Yeah. It's, um, it's just getting that going. Um, in terms of um, what, what do you think has been the biggest successes ALP done for the, for the sector? <laughs> There've been a lot actually, and it's funny because um, you sort of, as soon as you win something, you park it and go yeah. on to the next. Well, there's always a list. There's always a long list. If you look yeah. at our list of uh, requested flexibilities during COVID, it's long and it grows. Um, yeah. You know, let's let's not forget that originally the the, the non-levy contribution was 33%, and we got it down to 10%, then we got yeah. it down to 5%. Um, again, going back quite a way, the last AEB procurement was diabolical, yeah. um, and actually, uh, existing providers um, were getting a worse deal than the new providers. So we yeah. got all of that changed, and there was you know hundreds of millions put back in to those yeah, providers. Um, we've had like more recently, the functional skills was a real issue, obviously with COVID. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt like a lone voice for quite a while saying, well, why aren't you treating them like GCSE um, yeah. students? And we and we got that in the end. Yeah, yeah, great. Like, it's got its difficulties, but actually it was the better, better position to be in. Not everyone agrees with that. 
Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, every month there's a there's a sort of list of sometimes they're little wins, but have a big impact on 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 providers. Um, and we also pick up, you know, myself and Simon Ashworth and Jane in, in ALP, we get emails every day. Uh, I've got a problem with this. I've got a problem with this. And either it's about just clarifying the very complex rules for them, or we do go in and, you know, and help point them to people and help sort things yeah. out. So Great. Uh, the, we've got on our website now, there's the Ask Ashworth area yeah um, and you know talked a lot to simon about he we were all emailing all the time to individual providers and say well look let's get that up for everyone so where there's yeah. a question let everyone see it and share share the love so to speak excellent and i think that's getting two three hundred hits a day at the moment so uh, great really popular excellent and um final question i know time's tight if you if you could have a magic wand and change anything about the sector or add anything in what what would you do i think you know um what would sort everything out um i'm sure it'd have its own problems but as a starting point uh is it's not an institutional model it's a learner model and really for that to work a learner has a skills account um, and the learner can go to the best provider with the best provision. And as long as you've got a strong provider register and you've got a strong sort of list of qualifications or provision that can be offered. Yeah. Because there have been massive problems in Australia, for example, where it was just open up. We had the individual learning accounts in the past. Yeah. I think if, if we could go to that sort of system where it was a genuine buyer's market, um, and also, so that's, that's one big one. Uh, and then when it comes to the organizations and institutions, let's just recognize that what they're good at. You know, I've been a yeah. college principal. Uh, we struggled all the time I was there to, to get employers working with us. Whereas the independent training providers are in employers every day is that that is yeah. their, their work. So why not have that partnership where the colleges are the local base, the colleges are doing a lot of the full-time stuff, but not all of it because some students just won't walk into a college. Um, And the providers are there sort of almost based out of the colleges to some extent. So if you want to do uh, work with uh, in a pub with Green King or m&b or whoever else, you know, lifetime training delivers that across the country. And so, so they should be, pointed from the college to that to that place because the yeah, college is great. The place. so 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 i think you know those two things the funding side being sort of much more account driven and that that approach to um let everyone do what they're best at uh, yeah. and support that uh would be my two big changes excellent and final question one for yourself um, and yeah. if you had a dinner party you could invite any three guests alive or oh. dead who would you invite oh Oh, I don't know. Um, so I've been watching Brian Johnson uh, on the road, uh, ACDC's lead singer. I'd love yeah. to have him round. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't mind. Um, I'm a very keen cyclist, uh, and my world was shattered when Lance Armstrong was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting him round the table and having a bit of a, a bit of a quiz. Uh, yeah. With him. Great. Um, and then my third one. 
I'd probably invite my wife because uh, she ought to be there as well. <laughs> yeah, she'd be annoyed if she wasn't. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate that. Thanks for your time this morning. Um, it's been a, it's been pleasure. a pleasure. Thank All you. Right. Speak soon.